0: The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Good morning. We're going to turn again to the book of Amos, and our primary focus will be on verses 11 through 15. That's the last part of the book. We've been working our way through this book, and we have been wondering when we will get to the concluding message. Today may be it, but I won't promise that before I start. But let me begin by having, if you wish to turn with me in your copy of the scriptures, to Amos chapter 9. And the first thing I'm going to do is read the verses. Verses 11 through 15 in chapter 9 of Amos. And this is what it says. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. That they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the trader of grapes him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it, I will bring back the captains, captives of my people, Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. they shall also make gardens. And eat fruit from them and I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them says the Lord your God. Now, if that is not a hopeful sounding message, I don't know what is, especially as we consider. The contrast between these words and what we've dealt with and seen in Amos from chapter 1 all the way through, verse 10 of chapter 9, with all of the judgment activity that was spoken about. And now we come to words like these, these words, are words of encouragement these words are saying that there is a God and he has spoken and he has made certain promises and he's able to keep them and he will. That's good news. That is indeed good news. So what do we have here? I want to go to the book of Acts and read a portion where there's a quote from this section of Amos. Now, in chapter 15 in Acts, there was a discussion or a dissension regarding circumcision and whether it was necessary for the Gentiles to be saved through having to come by circumcision But the part of the text here that I want to draw your attention to is this. Beginning in verse number 14 in Acts 15, it says this. Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. So that's God's activity That's his volitional activity. God, it says here, visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And then it goes on. And with this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written. After this, I would return and rebuild the tabernacle of David after this now it has to be after something and we'll get to that return and rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up that's from Amos chapter 9 in verses 11 and 12 but in the note of verse 17 this is what it says so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Those are some powerful words, it shows a connection between what was being discussed there in Acts, in the beginning of the days of the church and what had been said by the prophet the prophet of God Amos, all those years ago and so it is one revelation there is a unity in the scripture there is an unveiling of God's program, of his plan a drawing of attention to what he's doing. The subjects or the people. They have their roles. They do what they do. But the program is God's program. And he's about his business. Now to turn back to Amos, I want to point out a few things here. notice that in verse 1, I mean verse 1, verse 11, the first of the f- five verses we're looking at, it says there on that day. Now depending on which translation you're reading from, it might say in that day, at that time, or on that judgment day. So those are translations. And what it means is that what we're reading is not the original language. What we're reading has been translated out of the original language. And so translators have some variations in how they think the best rendering, what they think the best rendering is. And that's why I read those varieties because then sometimes for us it helps since we don't understand myself, the original language. But if I can look at a variety of the ways that certain phrases were translated. It gives me, I think, a a better sense of of what is being spoken about. And so I'll draw your attention to that particular thing. Notice also that it, it speaks here about the tabernacle of David. Now, of course, we want to know, well, what is this talking about? And I think we have to give it some consideration because we could just read through it and say okay tabernacle they had a tabernacle in the wilderness and that's what they're talking about we could do that but we don't want to do that and we have concluded this is not the tabernacle and this is not what this reference is referring to but we don't want to make that out to just assume that 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 is what it is about now what also you notice the Lord's involvement in these future activities, God's involvement in the future activities that are being spoken about here, I want to draw attention to those. And we read it, but now I'm going to read it again in a, different, a little bit of a different way. In verse number 11, we read this, and this is God speaking. He says, I will raise up the tabernacle of David. So we'd have information that the tabernacle of David, whatever the proper understanding of that is, is going to be raised up and we're being told who's going to do it. God's going to do it. That's God's involvement. Also in verse 11, it says, I will raise up its ruins and build it. So God is saying that he's going to raise up the ruins and he's going to build it. That's really quite interesting. And it could be said that you know, the people, even with the tabernacle in the wilderness, it could be said where God built it, but he worked through the people. He gave all his specific instructions as to how the thing was supposed to be done, and then they were responsible to carry out their part. But God says, I will raise up his ruins. I will rebuild it. He said, I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. Who has the ability to bring back the captives of the people of Israel? The Israelite people themselves, who would even have the desire to do such a thing, much less the power to do it? Who would even be able to know where they all are scattered at, where are they they sitting at the moment? (laughs) Because, you know, Israel got scattered far and wide, and they still are. And so who even knows how to even contact all the people if you did want to gather them in again. But God says, I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. In verse 15, he says, I will plant them in the land. Now this gives an idea of a permanency that's going to be involved here. They're going to be planted in the land. They're going to be put in there as if really they belong there. And that's what he says. I will plant them in their land, the land I have given them. Now, one of the interesting things about this is, and this is the way I see it, is that when God gave them the land, at that point, it became their land. Now, whether they possessed the land whether they were living on the land was a non-issue, was reference to the question of whose land is it? It's their land. Even after the Assyrians deported and after the Babylonians deported the other part. And those people were in captivity. And while they were in captivity, it was still their land. The ownership of the land hadn't changed it remained. It's just that there was something out of joint, out of order. Because the people who owned the land were not living in the land. And so these promises that we see are promises that God has given connected to the land. When we look at the covenant of David that God, that God made with him, there was a very specific land element to that. So that's, what we see God's involvement in these future activities. But now I also want us to notice the involvement of the people in these future activities. And there are certain statements here that point this out to us, the involvement of the people. We saw God's involvement and in what it will be, and now the people will be involved. In verse 12, it says that they may possess the remnant of Edom. Now we're talking about where they actually are going to be. That they may possess all the Gentiles who have been called by my name. And I put that in brackets because that is not specifically stated there, but in my view, it's understood to be. Now, in verse 13, it says, The plowman shall overtake the reaper. So they're going to be doing their agricultural activities. A plowman overtaking the reaper, but what is that? What's the picture of that? The idea that somebody is plowing and somebody is reaping, but what's the plowman doing? What's what's the idea of his plowing? What's he trying to accomplish? What is the reaper trying to accomplish? You see, the reaper comes at the end of the harvest season, right, to get the crop out. The plowman comes to plow to get it prepared for the next crop. But before they can get the crop out, the plowman is already overtaking the guy who is trying to get it out. If there's super abundance, they may not be able to move fast enough. And that's the picture that we have here. The tread of the grapes shall overtake those who sow the seed. You get the same kind of a picture. This is not a picture of famine. In the early part of Amos, we read about famine. This is not a picture of famine. In verse 14, they shall build the way cities and inhabit them. Now God says he's going to raise up the ruins and he's going to rebel. But now it says they're going to do that. So they are operating. They're doing things. They're doing what they're supposed to do. But God is doing the work. And it's by his power and ability that it gets done. They shall plant vineyards and drink from them in some of the more trying days they were to plant vineyards and not drink from them because that was a part of the judgment that was fallen upon them but it says that they shall plant vineyards and drink they also shall make gardens and eat from them and then it says that they in verse 15 no longer may be pulled out from the land their land that I have given them This is an interesting thing. So Amos made it abundantly clear that he was a messenger bearing messages of the one who sent him. And three times in these five verses, Amos speaks about a glorious future But he uses the words, thus says the Lord. Three times, thus says the Lord, in these five verses, so that everything that Amos is delivering, all of the new information that he's providing and presenting, it is none of his own. It's not his own. He he didn't make it up. He didn't dream it. He didn't have somebody coming to him and saying, let's sit down and, and work out something here that might present nicely as a novel that we can make a lot of money on. Amos was not that sort. He was simply a messenger who was faithful to the words that God had given to him to deliver. Now on that day, or in that day, at that time of judgment. Now the day of the Lord. In this reference, here in verse 11. What day are we talking about there? My understanding is that we are talking about a day, a, a time, a period, if you will. It has a beginning. It has some good. It has some bad. And that's all the day of the Lord. So what's the bad? Now, generally, the way that we speak about eschatological events, we say, that there will be a millennium, a thousand years. And we understand that these things in this latter part of Amos are referring to events that will be occurring during that millennial reign. But before that reign comes, there are some events that occur, one of which is a tribulation period of seven years now that seven years is an interesting thing because now we're saying that there will be a millennium but before that all of these horrible things happening and the great tribulation at the end, in the middle of that tribulation there will be a breaking of a covenant and so the latter part of that The times will be so bad that scripture says that unless they had been cut short, there would have, there would would be no way for any survivors to survive it. So that's a tribulation, a millennial preceded by tribulation. But we also identify another event that occurs before. The tribulation period starts. And we know what that is. We call it the rapture of the church. And so a rapture. Now you probably noticed last week, Pastor Odell used those terms. A pre tribulational, pre millennial rapture. So we get a rapture before the tribulation and we get a tribulation before the millennium. And so we understand those words there. So the day of the Lord then includes both judgment and millennial blessings in the way that I understand this. It is interesting that I, I read some authors who liken what I just talked about in terms of, well, they kind of made an illustration using our 24-hour day cycle. And I read it, and I kind of tucked it away and didn't think much about it. And then I I encountered the same thing again in another writer, and took another look at it. And this is kind of the way they looked at it. And they said something like this, how the hour day begins in the darkness. That's times of judgment. And then it moves into a time of light. And that would be millennial kingdom. But one of the things that is very interesting is, is that when we look in the book of Revelation and see what's going to happen, at the, after the millennial, at the end, there's darkness again. Before the... So dark, light, and dark. I don't know if that helps, but it's just an idea of We are expressing how we understand certain theological concepts with the understanding that there are others who don't take it the way that we do. They see it differently. They have different ideas. So we just are trying to be clear about how we see it in referring to these things. And there are some other scriptures I want to draw attention to. I want to read some verses from Zephaniah because the things that we read here in this last section of Amos are speaking about glorious days but Amos is not the only prophet who spoke about what was coming in fact you find lots of them speaking and it's just marvelous reading I want to read some here from Zephaniah in Zephaniah chapter 3, beginning at verse 9, this is what we read For then I will restore the peoples, to the peoples, a pure language, that they all may come, that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughters of my despised ones, shall bring my offering in that day you shall not be shamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress transgress against me for then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain it's kind of a contrast to what we see here in Amos, where Amos was there in Bethel speaking. And he was being told, go away from here. We don't want you here. We don't want the message you have. Because now this is reserved for the king. We don't care that his name means house of God. Who cares about that? But that won't last forever that way. In verse 12 of Zephaniah 3, I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies. Now, Amos was upbraiding the people for their lies. And in some of the places, lies actually were speaking about actually uh, demonic activity, demons. Nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. Joy in God's faithfulness. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, you shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. Zion, let not your hands be weak. That's interesting. Jerusalem, do not fear. You remember in Hezekiah's day, there was fear because of an impending invasion or an intended invasion but Hezekiah went to the Lord in prayer they were delivered but it says there's going to be a time when there won't be fear anymore the Lord your God in your midst the mighty one will save he will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you with his love he will rejoice over you with singing I will gather those of sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. At that time, I will bring you back. Even at the time I gather you, for I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. Now that is very, very interesting because part of what we see there is, is that God's plan and program included all people. It was not just for Israel. But they were a special people in a special position for a special purpose. But the blessing was to be for the whole world. I think it comes through clearly there. Now the tabernacle of David, we need to visit that a little bit. The understanding that I have is that here in this reference, the tabernacle of David is referring to, to not the physical tabernacle per se, but to the dynasty of David. The dynasty of David. What do we mean by dynasty? We're talking about a hereditary line, a line of hereditary rulers of a country. Pastor talked about that recently, talking about the line. There always been a qualified person to sit on the David throne David's throne. Always. And there is now. He's not sitting there now, but always a qualified person. So the tabernacle of David. Now, I want us to look in Second Samuel as our reference point to express this, this idea a little better. Because in Second Samuel, you will see the words and the phrases which express what it means here and what the meaning is as to what we're looking at in this particular section. I marked off a lot of verses here. Samuel. But let's go to Samuel. I will go there. And I'm going to read, starting at verse number one. Second Samuel, chapter seven, verse number one. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house. And the Lord had given him rest from all the enemies all around. That the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now. I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in tents, inside tent curtains. So there's a reference to the physical tabernacle. Now, then Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. So Nathan is basically telling David, well, build a house for the Lord. Like, you know, you built your special, wonderful house, now build one for him. Now, this is what it says next, though. You see Nathan was saying what seemed to him to be good but this is God's program and even the prophet sometimes can get it wrong. That's what God is going to require or uh, do. And so what it says here next is but it happened that in the night that the Lord came to Nathan saying go and tell David my servant. Thus says the Lord would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I, that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. There's that physical tabernacle again. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, I have, have I ever spoken about a word about anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, saying, why have you not built me? A house of cedar. So God is saying, did I ever ask it about it? Why didn't you build me one of these houses? And then he says, now therefore, thus says the Lord, you say to my servant David. Here's the message David's supposed to hear. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold from following the sheep to be a ruler of my people over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. So God is saying, I've done wonderful things with you, David. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. What does that mean, move no more? It means what it says. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more, as previously. I'm in verse eleven now, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. And the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. Listen now. When your days are fulfilled and the rest and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom that's the dynasty of David that's why we take Amos 11 here to be a dynastic tabernacle of David and not a physical tabernacle notice what it said to go on here he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever I will be his father and he shall be my son now Notice here, it says next, if he commits iniquity, which he will, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. Now, Amos, when he's speaking, he's only, what, about 38 years out from when the Assyrians are going to be a rod of God to them. And they will be delivering blows to them. But this is what God said. He said, I'm not going to dethrone, but I am going to deal with them. That's what he says. Now, notice what it says next, though. And this is the thing that we, this grabs our attention because we know that how Israel was a little bit premature and wanted to, a king. They said, we want to be like other nations. Well, it was in God's plan for them to have a king, but it was not for them to have it at that time. But the, Now, notice what it says, though, about that king that they got. At that time. In verse number 15, second, uh, I'm still in Second Samuel chapter 7. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from you. So God's program was not going to go through Saul. He was removed, but he said, as for David, there won't be any removal like that. It's not going to happen that way. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. What does it mean? I think it means exactly what it says. According to all these words and according to all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. So this then is the marvelous thing. That God has said, okay, I'm dealing with you. I've created you out of the Gentiles. I made you a special people for a special reason ultimately the whole world shall be blessed through you but the promises that are made they're going to be kept my people are going to occupy their land the enemies are not going to bother them anymore they're going to have abundance and overabundance and they will be a light to the world and so we see that this marvelous day that is yet to come is a part of God's program and there's just no two ways about it there are lots and lots of other scriptures that would fit right in with what we're talking about here and what we are presenting we're just selecting a few of the things to help us to understand what we're seeing here in this portion of the book of Amos. I'm going to read a few words from Hosea. Kind of summarize chapter three, verses four and five. It says this for the Israelites must live many days without a king Or prince. Without sacrifice. Or sacred. Fertility pillar. Without ephod of idols. Afterward. The Israelites will return. And seek the Lord their God. And their Davidic king. Then they will submit to the Lord. In fear. And receive his blessings. In the future days. So they're going to receive his blessings. In the future days. Now what I just read was not from the. New King James, which is where I have read from, for the other portions that I, that I read just now. But this is Hosea giving a summary of these future activities. So, verse 15 now in Amos chapter 9, God says, I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. I think we'll end it there. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for giving to us the privilege to look into the words that you have made to be recorded for our learning. And we ask for the help of the Spirit of God that we will indeed learn and understand more and bring honor to the Lord our God through these things. We ask in the name of Christ the Savior and with thanksgiving, amen.